Hello and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast. It's the 50th episode for our amazing podcast, which I'm sure you've listened to every single episode. That means there's 50 hours worth of recording for our podcast. That's amazing. So if you've got two days free and you don't want to sleep, why don't you go back and listen to every single one, including this one? Uh, yeah, right now, I guess. That was awful. Uh, I'm joined by Freddie <laughs> Coates. No change there, Dickinson, the usual, yeah, no change. Uh, yeah, how are you guys doing this week? Yeah, I'm all right. I think it's 50 hours is a long time, and then there's probably another <laughs> at least 25 hours, probably closer to another 50, uh, on top of that of like pre-recordings and waiting for Nigel to wake up and all of that <laughs> that isn't recorded. So yeah, that's quite, I've not thought about it like that before, but it's quite, yeah, quite a weird a weird way to think about it but yeah I'm all right I've finished exams now and I know both of you have as well so I'm enjoying the freedom of that and being able to do a few, bit more of writing that I'd like to really oh uh, yeah no matches on tinder this week Freddy um actually I got three three more matches so hooray um still waiting for replies about four days because everyone's goes to me but oh well um Adam's looking very confused. I put a picture on Twitter <laughs> of um, a Tinder match because she was called Anya. So I said, sail away, sail away, sail away. Um, <laughs> and I got a reply and haven't got one since. Um, so anyway, I'm doing good. Um, I was telling Nigel, I'm having a really good day for some reason. I don't know why. Just waiting for um, lectures Surely to kick up again in two it. hours, two weeks even. <laughs> two, yeah, hours. So <laughs> two hours off. <laughs> 50 episodes, uh, we started way back in end of June, the start of July before the 2020 F1 season. Uh, a lot has happened since, so do you guys want to talk about, I don't know, the podcast and stuff outside of it, the, the best bits and stuff like that over the last, what, seven months? It's bonkers to see how we've kind of developed. I'd imagine if we we look back to the first few episodes, there's probably quite a lot of similarities, but probably quite a lot of differences um, between how we do these podcasts. I think we've just, we've really played into the, the title winging it as we've gone on with the 50 episodes. We really? were very, you know, we were very um, cautious and structured, I think for the first couple. And then we just gradually fell into the, let's just chat. Why not? <laughs> I mean, it's a podcast. It's not, it's not a, um, it's not a play. Yeah, I think the, I think I have kind of, I think we've become a bit more polished as Freddie drinks a beer um, as it goes on. Yeah, right. Um, as we've kind of over the seven months, I do think there is, I've talked to other people who've kind of noticed a, a decent difference. And I think we kind of got to know each other a lot better, especially, I know me and Nigel, I kind of didn't really have spoken to him too much kind of before we started the podcast. And now I kind of feel like I know him a lot, a lot more. And that, that is like, yeah, nice. Well, he knows Freddie's long <laughs> hair a lot better now. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just think, you know, and I kind of alluded to it in the intro, you know, the kind of recording or sorry, the time on the video call that we spend when we're not recording is as enjoyable is on it and we do have good debates and I feel like I've kind of improved my F1 knowledge a lot since we've been doing this so yeah it's been it's been really good I have enjoyed it yeah I massively agree with you both and you know we have an episode every week which I think you know considering what else we're doing outside of this is 
quite a lot, but always find things to talk about. Sometimes before a podcast, we'll be like, oh, we've got nothing to talk about. This will only be 10 minutes, but then we end up going on for an hour. Which is yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it really has been great. Is there any particular things that stand out? <laughs> I really enjoyed our season reviews. Yeah. I thought our season reviews were some of our best work and they were a good way to to round off our first season, our first year, basically covering Formula One as as a group. I was really, really happy with what we put together for that. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the times when we're paralytically laughing because of something, <laughs> that's that's way, way the times I kind of enjoy the most. Um trying to think of any episodes that kind of particularly stand out I'm not sure there's a few that I've kind of tweeted afterwards that was very fun to record but I kind of can't remember the specific ones but yeah I think just in general that I guess the feeling as well that it's our thing because we all write the kind of other sites or other places so it's kind of nice to have this as like you know it's our thing and just we decide when to do it and what to do with it and all of that and I quite like having that yeah, yeah, I know what you mean about the um, hour thing. Sorry, I was just going <laughs> to jump in with one thing that I really, Adam alluded to it there, that I really remember kind of like the first episode that we did that I really felt, this is really good, this kind of thing, it was kind of after the Hungarian Grand Prix, we did a we did a um, rundown of what we thought the 2021 grid would be in the middle, midst of where we thought the city season was at that, at that point. And we all came back with <laughs> randomly, random grids <laughs> looking at what we've got now. And that was when the start of the, the Vettel Perez rumours and stuff like that. And everyone was obvious. Everyone said, oh, it was obvious that Nick Schumacher would be at Alfa Romeo, that kind of thing. And mm. um, I felt we did a really nice episode there that I was really happy with. And it was one of the first episodes I thought, wow, we, we, we're all right at this. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favourites. Uh, yeah, I think from, especially from that one, because that was our fifth episode where we really like, kicked on from mm. there and stuff. Uh, and also, every time we talk about Alexander Albon, I think that's, <laughs> that's just funny. <laughs> uh, I think the um, Bahrain Grand Prix quiz is one that stands out for me, where I came back from about five oh, yeah. against Freddie. <laughs> I, <remember that>. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the highlights. For the first me, 10 anyway. episodes, I was okay at quizzes, and then for the next 40, I just basically made just ruined all of them. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I was useless for the first few and then kind of got a lot like better you say, your F1 knowledge has got better. Sport yeah. is helping. <laughs> and Adam you mentioned before we're all obviously writing for the bits and sites. So for anyone who doesn't know, you two have become editors for the last lap, which is fantastic. Yeah, I'm the F1 editor, although I've not had a chance to do much in my editorship because of exams and uni work and all of that. But yeah, I am massively looking forward to it over kind of the next six months provisionally and um, yeah, kind of getting involved and learning a new skill, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm massively excited about that. And I also write for F1 feeder series, which is it's quite nice. It's different articles normally. It's kind of, I don't know, more opinion-y maybe, but it's quite nice having that balance and you get more of a kind of 
Twitter rebound on that or kind of see mm. see more coming out of that? Or I did one on, I think it was American Junior Series Drivers and like there was a subreddit thread on it. And I thought that was quite cool kind of reading through that. And none of the comments were saying, what an awful piece of journalism. So that was nice as well. So yeah, I do both of those. And I also do rugby, but we don't have to go into that now. Oh, you can go into it if you want. Are you sure? Okay. Well, I'm a, I don't really have an official title, but I write a help covering WASP for Commentary Telegraph slash Commentary Live, which is really good. I really enjoy it. And I've kind of been writing more and more as that's gone through. So I've done kind of play ratings after the match and stuff like that. And I really like that kind of pen, opinions yeah. down and yeah, all of that. So yeah, I don't know whether that's kind of the path I'll go into when I do go into a career, but. Yeah, that's my uh, the other side of my sporting journalism endeavours. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been you know tough to have months for everyone, but I think you know some of the things we've been doing outside of the podcast, outside of the university, has been great. And Freddie, you've done some very good things too. Well, I, I don't know about very good, but I'm now the um, Formula Formula E Extreme E editor for Last Lap, which is well, I, I don't know. I, I think I can do with a better title, electric editor or something. Um, <laughs> came up with that on the spot. I'm going to take that. Um, and I basically am now going like Adam, haven't had a chance to do much editing. We only finished our exams like two days ago. Um, but going to hopefully throw myself into into that a bit more and find someone else who's actually going to write about Formula E or Extreme E for the last lap because <laughs> <laughs> it's all well and good being the editor of only your work. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, that's that's more it for me. I don't have the same level of um, wide-reaching journalism than as Adam does. His, um, his like you can actually just Pete's on um, junior American drivers. Who could be the next American F1 driver? He did one about um, Brazilian F1 drivers as well, which was really good. And I think, did you mention how Pietro Fittipaldi probably wouldn't do it? And then yeah, it was, was it, the it next was Brazilian two F1 weeks driver. before <laughs> Pietro Fittipaldi got announced that I said, yeah, that his claim of it seems really far-fetched at the moment but yeah that didn't that didn't go so well but it was again like a great piece to do mm. yeah check those out they're all, they're really interesting and they're oh, sort you. of pieces that you can still look at now and even from a, like it says november october time and they're still quite interesting um i'd say yeah and what's great i think is last lap only started was it last year and you've both been there quite early on from from the start or near the start was it was right? um about summer 2019 is when it kicked off and I joined pretty much straight away just kind of like a on-off kind of thing and then joined to then basically become the formerly an extreme e writer for it and um, then um, when I I just took that and then got Adam to to come in later on and Adam's mum was just waving into the window by the way I completely lost my train of thought because I was laughing at that um, <laughs> um yeah, and then it sort of picked up gradually as we went through the 2020 season with as it was supposed to be like our first big year of last lap as we got a little team into it. And then um, there was no racing for half of it and we still managed to grow. <laughs> so I think I'm quite excited for last lap for this year. It's coming. Yeah. Obviously, I'll promise you both if you keep on writing, doing stuff and stay with the last lap or or whatever, you you know, opportunities will come 100%. You know, you're both great. And uh, Speaking of so, that, you've just left Motorsport yeah. Radio and <laughs> have joined the English-speaking um, new version of Netherlands' biggest motorsports site, site Racing 365. Yes, 
I, I, yeah, I was with Motorsport Radio for three years, incredibly, uh, a bit more than that. And yeah, it was without without them, I might not have even been doing journalism. I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast and stuff because uh, without the manager, Lester Forbes, he messaged me when I was doing my own little blog, and I was I started the blog, and after about nine ten months, I was starting to lose motivation for it. Because I was I wasn't you know getting many views and I thought you know what's the point, but then yeah he messaged me and then I started writing for them and I was like wow you know this is a big thing and uh, yeah motorsport radio was quite new then as well the website hadn't really done much but yeah we I've managed to grow with them managed to write whatever I want basically they just gave me complete freedom and I I was just writing so much I became so passionate for writing about motorsport and writing itself and then yeah earlier this month in January I had an opportunity to join Racing News 365 which I, I just took straight away because like you said Freddie the uh gonna have an English site for the for the website racingnews365.com go go and check that out there's loads of content every about F1 every single day uh, as I'm filming this podcast, I've not actually done too much for them yet, but I will over the next couple of weeks. But yeah, I'm still, um, I'm still a bit surprised that I've got the opportunity to do this with them. It, yeah, it really surprised me when they said, you know, do you want to join us and stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm just super happy to to be to be with them. Really, <laughs> mm, it's it's great. Yeah, really good. Is that under Floris? Is he? Yeah, he joined them in December. So he does. He works with both the Dutch and the English yeah. website. So, Floris yeah. Bisman, who um is the main man behind F1 Feeder Series, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, he's he's Very really good. good. Yeah, yeah, I think I it's interesting what you were saying about motorsport radio because when both me and Freddie went to Autosport International show. Um, about this time last year, actually, and Nigel exactly, was yeah. there, and mm. with Motorsport Radio, and so was Will Holmes, one of our other course mates slash F1 journalism friends. Um, oh yeah, there I am asking. I just put up for audio listeners. I've got a picture that I have on my wall, which is of us, all three of us actually, in wow. a um, <laughs> in a press conference with Karun Chandok that happened about five minutes after I arrived, and. Um, <laughs> Adam's there asking him a question. I'm taking notes, and Nigel is looking bored. <laughs> yeah, I was so but, stunned that Karun Chandler was three meters away from me. Now carry on, Adam. <laughs> well, just kind of go in there. Motorsport Radio had about eight people there. Like yeah. there was me on my own. More than Autosport. And, yeah, yeah. Like they have more than any other uh, <laughs> any other kind of organisation, including the PR agency that were running the media. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, and they had like three cameras or four. and microphones with a little fluffy, yeah. you know, the actual foam thing on the end with Motorsport Radio printed on. It was crazy. There are about three or four little tables for press to set up on and to <laughs> put their laptops and to, to base themselves to write a few little features. And um, most of the radio basically had a table to themselves, and <laughs> like like a news desk. And it was like, you're definitely playing into the opportunity. It was it was great. It's the right idea. Went around with your cameras. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, the Autosport show was probably the highlight for me so far, interviewing Karun Chandok one-on-one after that. Press me, you know, I was 
Yeah, David Brabham afterwards as well, which was incredible because he's a fantastic driver, did everything F1, sports cars, touring cars. He was Roland Rattenberger's teammate uh, when Rattenberger sadly crashed in 94 in Imola. He's won the mod a few times as well. But yeah, that was probably the highlight for me so far, really, I'd say, in terms of motorsport journalism. Yeah. Probably a ton to talk about the Brabham name coming back, actually. There's probably so much you can talk to David Brabham about because he's what he's built a whole new sports car and everything called Brabham. It's, I just find that really interesting. But we know that I love the history of F1, so anything that's called, like, I don't know, Tyrrell, I'll scream about and that kind of thing. Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, here's to more stuff this it's year. The next 50. Oh, yeah, the next yeah. 50 when episodes. Do we... When do we think the next fifth, the, the, the 100th episode will come? Do you think it will be in like just an innocuous June? race or something? Yeah, it'll probably be June or July. And hopefully do you think can... that what race do you think it would be? Do we think we'll... hopefully it's the British Grand Prix or something? <laughs> yeah, hopefully that'd be pretty good actually. Well, yeah. where we all get media passes there and get to do a bringing <laughs> it podcast on location from on the, the, the sun <laughs> on the top of the wing. Houston. Yeah, yeah, from the um, Mercedes motorhome. Mm. What have we done? It's seven months. Seven months we've been doing it. I'm just checking the seventeen calendar. races. We did, and we got um, not many off weeks with that, obviously. So that was basically yeah. two a week. Um, Freddie, you've done every single one. You're the only one out of us three <laughs> to do every single mm. one. <laughs> yeah, um, you guys have more lives than me on around <laughs> the podcasts. Um, <laughs> And we, um, Nigel and I did one Formula E episode at one point. Um, yeah, we did. The, um, Joe we, didn't do a, we did a Formula E preview and didn't do a Formula E review. No, so that's still I wasn't waiting. invited to that one because <laughs> of my apparent bigotry towards Formula E. I reckon it will be. You, you said when we were planning the idea of it that you'd come on and say, I don't like Formula E. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'd say, come on and say, I know absolutely nothing about Formula E. Well, not absolutely nothing, but there is nothing that I would be able to add to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that, was my, that was my view of it. Um, I reckon it could be around the British Grand Prix, actually, if we time it right. Or it time, could be, yeah. It could be <laughs> kind of. If we say we're after that, right, we're not going to plan annoyed. anything. We're not going to time Hungarian anything right. We're just gonna, it's just going to happen. But Yeah, Hungarian but, or Belgian, maybe after that. So I might be in, in America kind of soon after that. So Ooh, we no. have an international winging F1 podcast. Worldwide winging it podcast. WWI. Wow. Isn't that a thing? <laughs> World War <laughs> One. <WWI. laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I know Joe Biden's just become president, but I don't think that's good. What's uh, true? Well, what? I don't know. We're, we're not Trump supporters. No, no we're definitely not. I'm going to go to Mike Biden. Me and Freddie are not Trump supporters. <laughs> <laughs> and neither am I. Uh, yeah, I think we should move on then after that chat. I don't even know. Yeah, that was a bit. That was good. So thank yeah, you as well to everyone. Thank you for indulging us. Yeah, to everyone who's listened to any of the podcasts or any of the episodes over the last seven months, we really do appreciate it. And yeah, we just thank you. I guess. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to talk a bit about Lewis Hamilton's contract which he hasn't signed and why he hasn't signed it as well as what happens if he won't sign it that should be an interesting debate there's just a few news pieces 
that I'm going to talk about first, and I'll try not to mess it up. We've got the Sauber engine deal. They have extended a deal with Ferrari till 2025, which has put to bed any rumours that they were going to change engine partners. Uh, Sebastian Vettel and Sergio Perez have been to the Aston Martin and Red Bull factories. Well, not both, like for their teams. Respectively, obviously. the joint yeah. trip. <laughs> Vettel, uh, well, Vettel so, has been to the Red Bull factory in his life. Yeah, in his life. Perez would have, Perez would have <laughs> gone to the Aston Martin factory yeah. a couple of weeks ago when he worked there. Yeah. So. Good point. <laughs> um, Nigel, you can be specific here. Come on. I'm not a good news reader. This is why you won't see me on BBC News or whatever. If you're not the next Fiona Bruce. Not yet, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't bode well for next year. That's a good point. Alfa <laughs> Romeo are going to launch their car on the 22nd of February. I think they are the only team to have announced a launch date so far. And Correct. Alpha Tauri are going to run the 2018 car to give some mileage to their drivers. It'll be especially important for Yuki Sonoda because he's a rookie, of course, and will be making his debut this season. Is there anything you want to discuss on any of those points? Not major. They're doing the Alpha Tauri test around Imola, and the last time they did a little random pre-season test around Imola, they qualified fourth on the grid with Gasly. So if they're giving, and Sonoda's done his, his first Formula 1 mile, mileage at Imola, and with Imola being the second race of the year, it could be a good way for Sonoda to get on top of the intricacies of the car quite soon, really. He's going to have a day and a half or so of testing before Bahrain anyway, at Bahrain. So he'll be able to look pretty good at Bahrain. He'll know the track where he's racing. So he won't just wait for Barcelona to come around like you normally would. And then Imola's the second race. He'll look that he'll know the track there and the intricacies of that in a Formula One car. So I reckon that would look pretty good for Sonoda for the first few races to give him tracks that he knows in a Formula One car to then build on that top of that knowledge to get a lot of information under his belt as the season starts, which actually he's probably in the best position of the rookies. Didn't he yeah. do a um test after the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix yeah. last? Yeah, yeah, he did, a, he did a Torosso. Is it going to be Torosso branded? Um, it might be Torosso returning to F1 <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for, for about four hours. Yes, this is what we need. Uh, I think it probably would be Torosso branded, judging on their um previous form when they run old cars, they just use the livery. Interesting, yeah. Uh, I think more teams might do these kind of filming days and use an older car because there's only three days of pre-season testing this year, which is yeah. not a lot. You know, just a few years ago, we used to have eight days. So it's been completely slashed to save costs. So it'll be interesting to see if any other teams follow. Adam, let's get into the big debate, which we've been building up all week throughout our exams and all that stuff. Uh, so... What Lewis Nigel Hamilton. means there is, I had an idea and said, why don't we do this? And then it was a couple of days ago, and we said, all right, and now we're doing it. Which yes, is what happens every week. Throughout my NCTJ exam, I couldn't remember the year of the Primate Disorder <laughs> Act because I was too busy thinking about what, whether Van Dorn is signed hear, up to any other team in the grid. You just hear a faint drum roll in the background as we built up to this, just getting slightly louder and louder and louder gradually over the course of four days. The builder. I thought I thought that meant Freddie was going to put an effect in the edit, <laughs> but apparently not. <laughs> Sorry, no. Uh, debate. Uh, 
Yeah, he hasn't signed his contract yet. It is nearly February by the time this podcast goes out. What on earth is going on, Freddie Coates? Um, okay, what's going on <laughs> is that Lewis Hamilton um, hasn't signed anything for the cha- as the world champion for the championship-winning team. And the last time we've been in this position where a driver hasn't signed uh, for the reigning world champion has not has not has got an unclear future of their Formula One career was in 1993 when Senna hadn't signed for McLaren after um, having lost the 1992 World Championship to Nigel Mansell. Um, what we've got here is rumours going all crazy about why Hamilton hasn't signed. Um, we've got news from Mercedes, obviously, that we reported before Christmas of um, Daimler, um, Wolf and Ineos, the, um, who have sponsored the team this year, all having a third stake of the team and new ownership structure for the entire team, which might have brought in entirely different um, mindsets to the way the team is being managed financially, because who knows what's coming out of what pocket to go where, um, who's going to foot the bill for Hamilton's salary. Is there going to be a more of an impact coming out of uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe's pocket, one of the richest people in the UK, obviously the CEO of Ineos. Um, and so there's a lot of discussion that was presumably had around the Mercedes team side of it to figure out okay what's the salary here what are our what how do we respond to said demands of Hamilton and there's been rumors about what those demands are um people have been talking about a 50 million dollar um a year salary which when you look at the um budget cap for Formula One teams that started in this month that means that he is um, valuing himself the third of the value of a Formula One team um, basically, and thankfully um, for the team at least, they don't have to pay the driver in that budget caps um, figure, but um, it still means that there'll be a significant portion of money going out of their pocket to to Lewis Hamilton just as they think they could potentially be turning a profit from Formula One, um, only to then maybe um, have to spend that all on Lewis Hamilton. It would be very it's a very interesting situation, which we don't know many details about, but obviously is speculating that Hamilton is making some demands that probably Daimler aren't that happy with. Daimler being the Mercedes automotive car company owners, basically, board. So there's been nothing, no words. All that we've seen is some cheeky Twitter posts from Mercedes saying, hmm, why don't you use a pen to sign contracts and then announcing Frederick Vesti, who's an <laughs> F3 driver, as a junior driver of them. Good signing, but not the one anyone was expecting to be announced. Um, we've got a few Instagram posts in the past few days from Lewis Hamilton saying he's training, altitude training in the mountains, presumably Colorado. I think he's got something out there um, where he's cross-country skiing. Um, and we don't know if he's signed to race in Formula One this year. And yeah, yeah. it's getting closer and closer, which makes it more likely and likely that there is a rift there because why wouldn't they have announced anything previous years in 2018 and or 20 yeah 2018 when they announced um they were going to extend his contract um they announced it in in july um 2015 it was monaco so in in when he signed in 2012 for mercedes from mclaren that was announced at suzuka so October kind of time. He's never left it this late before. It's a bit, it's probably a bit worrying for the bosses of Formula One. Mm. And the longer it goes, I think the higher the risk of him actually not racing this year is possible. And you know, I think I came up with a theory two or three weeks ago on the podcast about why 
he hasn't signed a contract. Talking about you know COVID and that he had a, perhaps had a deal before. And I think that could actually be coming to. Tr- it could be true, possibly. Uh, can't remember exactly what I said, but you know, go and check it out if you want to. Adam, what are your thoughts on the situation? Well, firstly, a very good job from Freddie from summing it all up. That was very, yeah, in depth and succinct. So yeah, very good. Um, it's it's kind of hard to comprehend that he might not be on the grid next year, or like you know, he, we might have seen the last of him in F one. Yeah. Like it, it, that is a genuine possibility, but it feels impossible that that is the case. So yeah, it's. You know, that's that's how his F1 career will end, you know, trading rounds at Abu Dhabi in third, was it, that he finished? Uh, um, Alex Albon closing in. Yeah, yeah, with Alex Albon <laughs> putting <laughs> pressure on him in third place. It's, it's, it seems very strange. And I just really hope that he does sign. But as, as it kind of goes on and on, it there's kind of feeling like there's less, um, you know, kind of, genuine reasons that aren't related to a rift as Freddie said because you know they said that at the start of last season they said oh you know we've got everything sorted out it's just a matter of actually formally sitting down and getting it signed and then they were kind of there were noises coming out about you know he's just waiting for Toto to sign or Toto Wolf to commit his future you know wherever and then you know he'll he'll make his decision based off that and then in December I think Toto Wolf committed his future to Mercedes and you know he's still not signed it's been over a month since just that was announced it's just really bizarre I, I don't understand yeah I, I kind of don't understand you know he doesn't benefit at all if he misses out a season and a season that he is likely to win an eighth world championship very likely to win an eighth world championship in yeah. you know he it feels like he's better racing better than ever he won the BBC Sports Personality of the Year um, in December or November? I think December. And December. it feels like he's kind of at the top of his game, really. And it could be that he's walking away now, which is, yeah, it's just very incomprehensible. I, I, I'm with you, Adam. I don't understand it because if you look at the reason, if, if four to one is important to him, which I think it is because or else he wouldn't have rushed to get back into the Mercedes sits racing Abu Dhabi after he tested positive for COVID. He's got the chance to break Schumacher's record of seven world titles, which he currently holds with him. He can get over 100 wins as well, uh, possibly this season. And Mercedes were our favourites going into the year again. So it doesn't make sense to pull out now. And I also kind of feel that Hamilton's a type of driver who would announce that he's going to retire like midway through the season or even before a season as like a farewell, a farewell tour, you know, so that people come to the Grand Prix knowing, oh, this is the last time Houghton's going to race at Silverstone, the last time he's going to race at Belgium, whatever. I feel that if he is going to retire, he would do that. So are there any reasons, Freddie, as to why he would consider a sabbatical this year? So reasons that I... I kind of see are um, Nigel mentioned it there. He rushed back after his COVID infection for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, he was infected with coronavirus badly. He was sick. He was badly ill. He he was not 
he was having a fever. He was not in the gym. He said he lost a ton of weight and he was not eating or anything. And that's going to have an effect on people. I, um, we see not so much in the news as we should um, about how the mental effects of long COVID and stuff like that and people having had COVID and how in April, March of 2020, how it's still affecting them now and that kind of thing. There's, you have to dig to find reports about it, but people get PTSD and stuff like that quite regularly. So it's, 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 that's a harrowing moment for Lewis Hamilton, that he took every possible precaution and he still got ill. And that's, I think, a re- like he travels around the world a lot, but he wasn't last year. He was only traveling for Grand Prix. And I kind of think there's, there's, there's an argument to be made there that um, he doesn't want to put himself at risk. He doesn't want to put his family at risk. He doesn't want to um, put his team at risk. He doesn't want to do that. Um, I, I, I can really, I would really believe that. And on top of that, you had um, the massive Grosjean crash at the Bahrain Grand Prix. That yeah, Hamilton got in the car afterwards and waltzed to a victory. But um, it's it's going to sit on your mind. They'll have seen more and more of that over the coming days afterwards, um, around his COVID infection as well. So that's gonna that's that sits on my mind now and i'm not a formula one driver and that's it was a horrible 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 moment to watch and the fact the race restarted in hindsight still kind of boggles me but um in terms of the mental challenge that people who were there had to go through particularly the week after at the same circuit um so i kind of think that surely has got to play and have an impact on the mindset of anyone who's um, having doubts about Formula One and the future in, in Formula One. Um, the only uh, Nigel raises a good point when he says he rushed back to Abu Dhabi. The only kind of argument, it's pure speculation, that I can kind of come to to negate that would be that it didn't fix it for him. He didn't come back to Formula One and find the dream that he was missing out on in the race that he missed. If that makes sense, like he came back and it was an innocuous third place didn't feel great doing it and it just didn't answer what he wanted that kind of thing and he might have fell out fallen out of love with Formula One in that race but that's entire speculation it's obviously pure speculation but it's it's something I would believe I'm not not sure because it feels from what he said or from everything people who've you know none of us have met him but people who've met him and people who know him and have worked with him you know, have all said he's the type of person who would take that as a challenge to kind of, you know, overcome that or, mm. you know, he he kind of seems to live for the challenge and, and the sport of, of winning and dominating. Yeah. And I, I can appreciate Grosjean's crash will have had, you know, huge impact, but he was racing when Joel Bianchi lost his life. He was in the paddock, I think, getting interviewed when Antoine Hubert crashed. You know, he's been in big crashes himself at the start of his career at the Nürburgring. It, it feels like, you know, if if that was kind of, it's not a vulnerability, but if that was kind of something that would, you know, get into his head, it would have, it would have got there by now. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, I th- you know, th- there are all these things and I do think they're possibilities and, you know, it feels like, if he is thinking about stepping away, it will be maybe one of those, but it, they just don't seem to fit with kind of the 
um, character of Hamilton that has been portrayed over the last five or so years. I mean, I, go on, Freddie. Yeah, go on. Oh, sorry, I was going to say that I think I've been really surprised by some elements of Hamilton's character that have come out in the past few years that you wouldn't have seen a couple of years ago. For instance, when he bettered Michael Schumacher's victory record, he got the 92nd win in Portugal, and he went over and hugged his dad and had such a long embrace with his dad. And it, it was pure emotion there of victory, success and achievement. And I don't know, everything you hear from Paul on drivers, you go back to Nico Rosberg when he won his title was taking it race by race. Oh, I don't care about the bigger picture. Just thinking about it. And then they have that release. And it felt like he kind of had that, a kind of, to me, he felt like he had a kind of release there that I'm now the best. That's it. That kind of thing. And I don't really know whether there's anything in that. What would you guys say to that? I, I don't think, think that's much yeah, of that, you go. honest. I, I, for me, it's, I think the only thing is, is it's down to money. I really, I really do believe that. Yeah, Adam. Um, yeah, I... If anything, I'd have expected him to come back this season to kind of prove it that he is the best by winning the eighth. Because... Yeah. When when he's got seven, he's the same as Michael Schumacher. A championship is mm-hmm. a championship and, you know, they're all kind of created equal, really. And, you know, the the wins, that can always be, you know, people will always, you know, look down on that or say, oh, you know, he had more races or whatever. You know, there's kind of always things... He did it in a similar number of races, I think, to Schumacher. Yeah, so, you know, I... I I don't know. I'd agree with Nigel, really. I think... Doesn't hold water. Fair enough. I th- yeah, I, I don't know. I think they are all kind of plausible theories, but it's just kind of what what I've seen of, of Hamilton's character. It mm. just doesn't fit with that. I think, you know, as, as Nigel said, it could be, you know, kind of financially related or kind of, you know, maybe maybe that plus one of the things that you said, Freddie. Um, it, it has to be... So it's either financial or the other thing I've just thought of, and this is a bit out there, is that he's been activating, uh, being an activist of Black Lives Matters for racism, for equal, uh, sorry, for, e- for equality against racism, over the, especially over the last 12 months. And he's done fantastic work uh, in and out of F1. And the only thing I can think of, think of is that Daimler or Indios, one of them or both, and not in favour of, of that. That's just the possibility. I'm not saying that's true, but I, you know, I think they, if you they, look at everything that's gone different... on with with Mercedes and with Olafelenius coming on TV yeah. in Austria saying how much Olafelenius being the Daimler CEO coming on television and saying how much they support Lewis and how much they support the the black livery of the car and so on, and then that filtering through to the Formula E for their Berlin rounds as well. I um, with all of them, but. It's a whole other debate, but Formula E, the only team that really took the knee in like a weird moment of silence that no one knew what was in Formula E, was Mercedes properly taking the knee and everything, all members of the team there. And I think if you look at that, the culture that's being instigated in across Mercedes is one of um, support for that rather than um, reticence. I would agree, but that's, you know, from our personal view, we, we don't know what's happening inside and what you know, the higher... Yeah, we don't know yes, what the other 11 Kalenius, members on the board are saying. You're right. Yes, Ola Kalenius said that on TV, but he almost... I wouldn't say has to, but 
you know, it'd be weird if he didn't right. come out and say it, especially if, if you asked a question and, like, you know, it's a leading question to draw you and you would answer that. We don't know his genuine feelings. That is the only possible, only other thing I can think of is that there's genuine uh, differences in the way they think about society and stuff. Yeah. Is there anything I mean, else anyone wants to add? For me, that's one that probably, I don't know if this is me having over too much faith, but the one that holds the least water for me in terms of yeah, yeah. arguments. And um, that's the kind of, that's what I want to believe, but also that is what I believe that it's, that's not the case. I think, um, I think there is support for that. And I think um, Mercedes aligning themselves with Hamilton in that is mm. something that would be absolutely dying to do more of, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think the only other thing is it's, it's especially a surprise because of his activism and he kind of sees the, his activism on animal rights and the environment and Black Lives Matter as going hand in hand with his racing. And, mm. and he's put his money where his mouth is, isn't he? Yeah. And, you know, he's kind of said, I think, in an interview with Will Buxton at Silverstone, he said, you know, he kind of wants to carry on racing. So there is a black um, figure on the grid. You know, there's a black figure involved at the top of the sport for others to follow. And I think that's kind of what makes it so surprising is it's not just kind of his love of the sport itself. It's kind of everything around that that, you know, seemed to keep him wanting to race. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, So if he does leave, Mercedes, or if he doesn't race this year, sorry, what do we think is going to happen? Is George Russell certain certain to go to Mercedes this year if Hamilton does leave? I think it's certain that he's be wanted. I think okay. what's different is whether he would actually get there. Because, yes, we've got a whole new ownership team in Williams. Yes, he was allowed to race in the Sakir Grand Prix um, as a substitute for Lewis Hamilton there. Um, and they had time to organise that. But that was for a good, good fee to Williams. Um, I think I've, I've heard some figures on the grapevine, but I can't remember them, so I'm not going to make it up here. But um, it, oh, was, it, it was in the millions of, month, of dollars paid to Williams from Mercedes, I think. Um, one race? Yeah, I think it might wow. be, yeah. Wow. Um, like, not not like high millions, but... Oh, no, yeah, but still. <laughs> 200 million <laughs> If it's at least one million, to me, that's still, you know, quite a bit. I mean, I can't yeah. even remember where I saw it, so it might not be anything. But um, <laughs> fact-checking. Um, <laughs> but, um, like, when Mercedes put the feelers out in 2020, around the Hungarian Grand Prix, before, previously, a couple of weeks before that, to say to Williams, um, would there be possibility of us having George Russell in 2021? These discussions did happen. Um, Williams straight out said no and then announced him to sign for um, um, for them definitely to honour his three-year contract with them for 2021 and that's then been to bring Sergio Perez in well that's a whole other story I think that, um, there's more chances that that was just a story um, I think um, but then you look at you look at all of that the bullish retaining retainment of Russell at Williams why would they let him go again? Why would they say um, right at the last minute, no, you, you can have him, fine, all right. Here's, have our star driver, we'll just have Nicholas Latifi. 
and maybe Roy Nassani or Jack Aitken. Um, and you think they'd definitely want to cling on to Russell because it's their contractual right to do so, and they can do. And I think I see that being feasible. But then again, how much would Mercedes be willing, willing to buy out Russell from Williams? And um, yeah, and um, if it's going to be less to do that than it would have been to pay Hamilton and keep Russell for a season, it also seems kind of feasible that that could happen because it's yeah. cheaper than having Hamilton when you think about it at the end of the day is to buy out Russell and have Russell there. Um, but it just really depends on how Williams play their cards because if not, then they're going to have to scope out some free agents um, such as a Nico Hulkenberg or something. Yeah, I think there's an interesting Freudian slip there, but it's also, to me, <laughs> I don't really see... I I think it's quite unlikely, to be honest, because I don't see what Mercedes could offer Williams that would be the same worth as them having George Russell for a seat, unless they offer a Mercedes car, like F1 <laughs> car for Latifi to drive over Precisely. the season. Like, I just think all that Russell brings to the team... I think Mercedes would have to have an equivalent of, you know, Russell when he came into F1 in 2019. That's the only way that if, you know, Williams could be getting a driver, you know, kind of like Russell, but at the start of their career, I think that's the only way you can really compensate them for it. But to me, I just so don't Mercedes see said they cover Jack Aitken's. If Mercedes said they cover Jack Aitken's salary, would you think they would... Let them mm. say, okay, that's financially viable. No. Then no driver is then paid for by Williams. They're not paying any salaries to that. They can then put money like that to better use if they need, if need be, because their their overall budget anyway, with driver salaries, is still only just around the the budget cap figure anyway. So, but it is still a race team, and it is, You're right? You know, Russell brings results to the team. I know he's not scored points oh. for them but you know it's sooner <laughs> rather than later he brings results in qualifying you know he brings yeah consistent pace and I think that is an interesting point that you raise actually I guess that could work I guess you know a lot of it will depend on kind of discussions between financial directors that we'll never be privy to um it depends but, what you think Russell proved at the Zakir Grand Prix did he prove that he can lead and potentially win a race for Mercedes yes but did he yeah. prove that to Williams yes so Williams have seen, okay, this is a good championship caliber driver. We've got winning race winning caliber driver and we've got him contracted. So we're going to keep him for that matter. Because yeah. he's, he's proved himself to everyone, not just to Mercedes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd agree. I'd, so, I just can't see it happen, to be honest. But maybe, you know, maybe. maybe I mean, we're going down a very I'd, hypothetical route here. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd personally think he's... Hamilton will sign a new contract. But <laughs> exactly. If it doesn't happen, I think I think they would find a way to get Russell into the seat somehow, you know, financially or other terms. Because I don't see any other drivers who would that would suit Mercedes. Because if Russell is in the car this year, we will find out how good he is and how he stacks against Bottas over the course of a season. Because for now, we've only had one race on him uh, for him to, to judge Russell on, which I don't think is enough. Yes, he was absolutely brilliant, but I still, I think it would be close between him 
from Bottas. So, oh, over 23 races, I'd, I'd think. Quite exciting. I, I think Russell would do it. Comfortably? I, th- or? I think Russell would play more mind games than Bottas. Not I don't know about... I think it might it might be one of those that, I guess, a bit like 2018, was, you know, where it kind of looks like it might be close and then kind of goes away from that. In the end, you know, they might be kind of close two-thirds of the way through the season. I don't know. I think, I think it could be close, but I'd kind of back Russell to win it. But if you're saying yeah. Russell is then maybe doing a similar year to Bottas, if you look how close Bottas was to yeah. um, finishing third in the championship, exactly. would it be Verstappen's year? That's or what I'm thinking. Though. Would Mercedes move heaven and earth to try and get Verstappen in the first uh, place? You think, you think, no, Adam. You think it wouldn't bring Red Bull into play. It'll still be either Bottas or Russell. Yeah. You know, you, you've not... I disagree with you, that. You've not if, added 50 kilograms to Mercedes' car or whatever. You know, they still got the best car. Russell was still comfortably faster than Bottas at Sakir and comfortably faster than the rest of the field. I think... I don't, you know, I think it might open up Verstappen to get more, you know, a few more wins over the season or maybe even Perez, you know, kind of get some better highlight results. But I think over the over the season, it's, you know, I'd, I think it'd still be a dogfight between the two Mercedes. I think Mercedes would realise how much of an asset Hamilton has been uh, because I think Verstappen would run them very close and could, you know, even beat them. If, if Hamilton isn't in the car that she had, say Verstappen, he's got a very, very good chance of winning the championship, I'd say. And I think Mercedes would, like I said, I think they would realise the star driver that they've lost because I just don't see... I don't see Russell doing what Hamilton did, obviously, but I don't... I've, I really think Bottas will prove his worth, I'd say. So who do you think Woods... Nigel, who do you think would win? If it's Russell and Bottas in Mercedes and Verstappen in Red Bull, who would who would you back to win the title? Verstappen. Because he had five, depending on reliability, because last year, he well, the three races in Italy, he didn't finish. None of them were his fault. If Red Bull are reliable, I think Verstappen's got a very, very, very good chance if Halton's not there, in my opinion. I think the, I guess the key thing for me is that the difference between second and third, which was, I guess, a lot of the time, the difference between Verstappen and Bottas is a lot smaller than the difference between in points between mm. first and second. That's so a I really think that points. You know, even if you've got the Mercedes drivers sharing the wins more evenly, that might actually make Verstappen a bit further away from uh, from second place because first and second would be more equal. If you look at the results across the 2020 season... No, go on, buddy. If you look at the results across the 2020 season, um, at points at the end, Bottas was on 223 and Verstappen was on 214. Um, Verstappen retired from two, three, four, five races. Bottas retired from one and then also had a puncture at the British Grand Prix, so I didn't get in the points there. Um, but the, it seems pretty pretty even on races they both finished from who finished ahead. Like sometimes it's Bottas ahead, sometimes it's Verstappen ahead. 
for the early rounds, there was a lot of rounds where, Bo- where Verstappen finished ahead of Bottas. Um, he finished obviously ahead at Hungary. He was ahead for the majority of the steering Grand Prix. He finished um, ahead in the 17th anniversary Grand Prix and so on, like all that kind of stuff. And he, he outraced Bottas in the majority of those races and across the season. And with five retirements, he's only seven points off um, to Bottas. Essentially, and the two retirements. And they had Albon as a teammate. And with Perez, that's going to massively help. You, in constructors wise, yeah. But in, in I mean, yeah. Well, the amount of, if you take away, stuff, if you take away, oh, good point. If you take away Hamilton, mm. then it's either Verstappen or Bottas. In, in 2020, if you take away Hamilton, um, the winner would be Bottas or Verstappen there, basically. And feasibly across the season, it could have been either of them relatively equal amount of times. So it probably would be actually a really interesting title fight. Yeah. Well, if you take Hamilton out, out of like the last seven years, it probably will be. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, 2016 would have been fantastic. Ricardo versus Raikkonen or something for the year. Yeah. Uh, I, but yeah, I, I, I do think it would be close between Russell and Bottas because I don't think Russell is at the Verstappen or Leclerc level. For me, those two are the two guys at the top of F1. Now, even you could even argue that the, with Hamilton, I'd say. I, I think the tide is turning that Hamilton, even if he races this year, he won't be the best, perhaps. Because I think you could have made an argument last year that, that Verstappen was just as good as Hamilton, if not more impressive. I think Hamilton's still... Yeah, I guess impressive is a different kind of metric in mm. some ways because it's based off, you know, what what the expectations yeah. were. But I think in terms of pure, you know, all-round racing ability, I think Hamilton's still ahead, you know, in terms of maybe not... He's complete. You know, maybe not, yeah, maybe not in terms of absolute pace, you know, maybe he's on the level with those guys, but in terms of, yeah, just complete racing and consistency as well because he can do it for both races in the season you know I'd put Hamilton ahead but I'd, I'd also put Russell in the group with Verstappen and Leclerc yeah I can see that yeah. if I didn't I think it'd only be because he'd not been at a top team and yeah. Verstappen and Leclerc have Verstappen's been there for four or five years now and Leclerc has been for one and if you then, look at not not a top team last season, but yeah, I think that would be the only drawback. I think in terms of potential and showcasing that potential, he is he is right up there. All those drivers are just qualifying gods. Like Leclerc took seven poles in his first year Ferrari and did better in qualifying this year. And you look at it, the way he just walked over Vettel, Verstappen walked over everyone in qualifying since Ricardo left. Russell the same, just walked over everyone in qualifying his entire life. So. Um, these guys can have pace in the car just um, just for days. <laughs> They're the fight in the future. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, we'll see how it develops, but things are getting very interesting if Halton, it doesn't sign the contract very soon. Uh, we're going to change the format of these Wigan F1 episodes, aren't we, for the so we're going to have another episode maybe later this week about something else just for how we're doing it. Uh, So for now, I'll say thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.